Welcome to the Tales of the Lesser Medium podcast, where we explore the narratives of your favorite video games without all the pesky button-pressing crap to get in the way. Uh, we can all agree, right, that that's the worst part of games? I'm esteemed author and pure veyer of only the most pure of veyers, Caleb J. Ross, and I'm joined by my co-host, Travis, who uh, quite charmingly dabbles in lesser veyers. Already, no one knows what you're talking about, but uh, yeah, my name's Travis, and I do dabble in lesser veyers, I suppose. That's true. In this first season of the show, we'll be spending a lot of time in a spooky mansion nestled deep within the Arclay Mountains. We'll be surviving waves of zombies, and we'll be saving all of our typewriter ribbons. We are, of course, diving into the world of... What is it? Resident Evil. Yay! How did you get your voice to do that? I can tell you're excited. How excited? I'm so excited. I've, I've loved this series. I got into it late. Thankfully, when I got into it, there were several titles already out for me to run through. So uh, this is awesome. This is exciting. I am less excited, uh, only <laughs> because I didn't love this game until many years after playing it. Uh, the first time I, I played this game was uh, went to the video rental store, neighborhood video rental store, and back in those days, pre-internet, or at least probably the internet was just a sparkle in Al Gore's eye at that point, <laughs> not quite fully the way it is now. Uh, I, you know, you did the reverse back of the case jewel box viewing, and that's kind of how you decided what game you were going to play. This game on the back of a case looks like a fun action shooty romp, um, and it's not at all. And so I was very disappointed, uh, so disappointed, in fact, that I took it home. Oh, well, took it home, then became disappointed, uh, <laughs> was excited prior, as we've already established, took it back to the video rental store. And I said, I want to return this and exchange it. And the person said, well, uh, is the game broken? And I said, no, it just sucks. Oh, <laughs> and wow. she said, uh, no, you're not allowed to do that. And so I promised on that day that one day I would own a video game rental store where kids could take back disappointing games. And and I just remembered that I <laughs> promised that just okay. now. So I have not gotten far in that dream. Okay, well, we can we can make that dream a reality. And I'm, I'm sad you didn't like it originally, but it seems like you have some respect for the series now, at least. Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. I've gone back and played it. When I figured out what it was, I played it and had a ton of fun with it. Um, I haven't played all the entries, but that's okay, because we're talking about one right now. I'm very excited. I actually had a similar experience uh, growing up. I, I only really played like sports games or Zelda or something like that. Nothing scary. <laughs> and then when I started playing Resident Evil, it was like really slow and it was hard to maneuver. And I was a big, you know, wiener kid. <laughs> I mean, not, I was a scaredy cat. And like, I couldn't play with like out my dad in the room or at least knowing he was awake or something. So, yeah. And you've got a child of your own now that you can uh, help through this game when she gets old enough, huh? That'll be fun. Yeah, when she's four or five, we'll probably get started. And uh... <laughs> So this is basically a, a bedtime story for her that we're reading out here. You can play this for her later. This will be nice. <laughs> All right. So what do you say we get right into it? Let's do it. Most people are familiar with the themes of the Resident Evil franchise, if not the narrative details. Uh, you probably know it's a survival horror game about zombies and shadowy organizations, and that it involves claustrophobic environments, limited ammo, limited save points, strange puzzles, and terrifying enemies. But many of you probably don't know much of the narrative details. Ooh, ooh, I kind of know. I do know there's a pervert in a leather jacket that goes by Fonzie. <laughs> and there's definitely zombies. And there's most <laughs> certainly a guy named Freddy who has claw fingers. 
and there's a doll that can walk and stabs. So you pretty and, much nailed it. Uh, that's that's episode one. Yeah. Uh, and cut. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. While all the Resident Evil games are related, uh, generally referencing the same characters and evil corporations, the games are not one contiguous story. Uh, we're going to start by dissecting the first three games, which all involve the T-virus outbreak. Ooh. Yeah. But before we dive in, I want to acknowledge that there are a number of branching paths in Resident Evil where the player can do things out of order, uh, skip certain parts or not see every single clue. And we definitely realize that the narrative we're going to provide won't be everyone's experience. We will be telling the story of Jill Sandwich Valentine's quest through the mansion. And we've chosen the narrative decisions that we believe to be the most interesting and the closest to accepted canon. And if you don't accept that, I will shoot you with a cannon. <laughs> you do not want to fuck with our authority on this game. I have a cannon. You do have a cannon? And I will use it. Jesus. It's, oh, it, does, it doesn't shoot through airwaves, though. Ah. Crap. All right, you're safe, listener. <laughs> on July 24th, 1998, some bizarre murders occurred just outside of Raccoon City. The murders were described as vicious attacks by about 10 people, where the victims were apparently eaten. Uh, despite being described as a small industrial city, Raccoon City's police department is sophisticated enough to have an elite special forces division called hmm. the Special Tactics and Rescue Service, or STARS uh, for short. Uh, why such a spectacularly tailored and armed resource squad? <laughs> I can do acronyms too, Resident <laughs> Evil. Come at me. Uh, well, a little European company known as Umbrella Pharmaceuticals, UP, see, funded a revitalization of the city and heavily financed the creation of STARS, which consisted of military and scientific experts that carried out investigations too difficult for the local police department. And that's because the local police department is literally just a band of raccoons. <laughs> uh, well, it makes sense then to call it that then. Raccoon City. <laughs> so when these bizarre murders occurred, STARS' Bravo team was sent in to investigate. However, during the mission, all contact with Bravo team was lost. So then Alpha team was sent in to find out what happened. Oh, man. Uh, sounds, sounds like standard protocol to me, right? Uh, flesh-eating zombie monsters, okay, killing an entire city. Uh, mm -hmm. Sounds bad. Uh, let's send in the second best team. Alpha team has a softball game, and they've already paid the league fees, so <laughs> we need to send them in right now. Bummer. You just imagine the Alpha <laughs> team getting word that they have to be sent in to rescue the Bravo team again and sarcastically clapping and going, Oh, Bravo. Bravo. Classic B-team move. <laughs> uh, uh, while searching for the lost Bravo team, Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine, Barry Burton, Albert Wesker, and fellow Alpha team member and guy who gets made fun of for being the only guy with a single syllable last name, Joseph Frost, find Bravo team's crashed helicopter and begin to search the area. Uh, something stalks them from the shadows. Mm. Joseph shouts that he found something in the tall grass. He reaches down and pulls a gun from the ground. What? But don't. Don't get ahead of me, listener. Okay, this isn't your standard ground gun. Okay, this is special. <laughs> Keep listening. As he lifts the gun higher, he finds a dismembered hand still holding the grip. Whoa. He shouts and drops the gun just as something lunges out from the shadows with gnashing teeth. Its own gnashing teeth, I assume. Right, right. Joseph screams at what appears to be a rabid dog. And it tears him apart. Wow. I mean, dude literally stumbles upon some, like, rare gun lettuce <laughs> at the wrong time that a, a dog just wipes him out. He discovered gun lettuce. Do you think, like, picky eaters would also be as picky with the gun lettuce? Not because it's gun <laughs> lettuce, but because, you know, I have a problem with, like, like textures in my lettuce. And I gun lettuce just, it doesn't... Or it's too highfalutin, you know? Arugula, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> gun lettuce, uh-uh. <laughs> I'll take my grenade carrots please and, that, and I'll be fine um, so Jill shouts in horror 
the, the type of shouting that one would probably do in this particular situation. But before the rest of the Alpha team can react, more dogs emerge! Oh, man. Alpha team opens fire on the monsters as they run back to their helicopter. But their pilot abandons them in the forest and takes off into the night sky. Boy, I hope we never see that guy again. Yeah. <laughs> Alpha team retreats through the forest with more dogs on their heels, firing and running blindly. So if the, if the run were long enough, there'd be lots of tired dogs. What's the saying? <laughs> My dogs are tired? <laughs> I don't <laughs> like know. your feet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> take two. Chris Chris <laughs> with uh, There's dogs on their heels. They're running, firing blindly. Yada, yada. Uh, Chris spots an old mansion within the forest and shouts for the team to take cover within. This, this is Resident, Resident Evil. Oh, you did it longer. Did they do it longer? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, so my first experience actually with this game was with the remastered version on the GameCube. That uh, that beauty, you know, and <laughs> uh, certainly made a lot of things easier and better. I played it with a buddy on the uh, sharing a couch with him because I'm very scared. Mm. Like I said, I'm a, I was a wiener mm-hmm. kid. I'm also a wiener adult. You know, I played this in my probably late 20s and uh was really impressed with it uh never could get the hang of the of the moving around with the uh the camera dynamic you know what i'm saying like the uh yeah the tank controls yeah the tank controls yeah i never could get the i would never be a tank guy i wouldn't uh, if i was in the military they wouldn't put me (laughs) in there with the tank for sure i might be the water boy in the tank they do in fact have that as the first question on your military application form have you played resident (laughs) evil yes or no What'd you think? What did you think? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> it's open-ended. It's more of a discussion to see yeah. if you're qualified. Yeah, so if you yeah. even mention controls, they take you out. You're... Except the one burly dude who's really excited. He's like, I freaking love the tank controls. Yeah. Didn't even beat no, the game. You know, he was only, he got it in 10 minutes, but he's like, my favorite part was tank controls 100%. <laughs> I like when it says Resident Evil. All right. And then after that, you start moving a character around like a tank. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty good game. <laughs> uh, do you, so do you avoid like scary games in general like not avoid do you always have to have someone near you do you avoid them because they're scary or like I don't know I kind of just want to make fun of you for it so I'm trying to look for more bait <laughs> uh, it, it seems as though a friend of mine uh, Brian Hokey Briz he does some other podcasts with us he and I play a lot of those games together Maybe for that reason. Also, I think having a buddy to pass the controller off to, like a lot of those games have tense situations, and a lot of them are also like cheesy in a way that will take the wind out of your sails real quick. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, you go down this long, scary section of the game, and it took all your all your cojones to get through that part, and then you die, and you have to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Where I would normally just turn it off, I could just hand him the controller and let him try it. And then we're kind of like refreshing each other. So it's kind of got that more more of that aspect to it than like we really hold each other's hands and sob during the scary parts, which we also do. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I, I get scared of them too. Um, in fact, the the most recent uh, Resident Evil game I played was Resident Evil 7. I know we're talking about one here. This will be super quick. But I was playing it um, in VR, and that was like the first time I'd played it. Mm. And I was not of sound mind. Uh, I'll just let you imagine whatever that means. Sure. I lasted maybe like 10 minutes, and I was like <laughs> done with this. And I have not gone. I, I walk into my friend's house who owns the game, and, and I was playing it over there. And I just look at it on the floor, and I get heart palpitations. And I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere near that. It scared me that much. And this was probably, though I don't remember, like the credits or something. Like, it was awful. <laughs> the um, so, but yeah, Resident <laughs> Evil 1 was much less realistic. Uh, the tank controls, I didn't mind so much. I actually kind of enjoyed them because maybe this just speaks to my mind as a child um, and the type of thought I would put into video games and how much I would like sort of breaking them down and deconstructing them. Because as much as I actually didn't like playing that the game the fir- through the first time, 
I recognized what they were doing with the tank controls and that they were trying to make it so it was harder to move and mm-hmm. you had to force yourself to sort of navigate very, very methodically and you couldn't just, uh, you know, you couldn't just shoot your way through it. I right. recognized it was doing that. I just didn't like doing that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been fun. So It definitely slows the pace of a game for sure. Absolutely. Intentionally so, I think. Mm-hmm. So who are the characters of this uh, of this amazing, amazing game? Well, let's get started and talk through some of those, right? So first up is Jill Valentine. Uh, Jill is a respected and high-ranking operative. In the early 1990s, she was in the United States Army, USA, and got the attention of recruiters for Delta Force, DF, a counterterrorism and hostage rescue faction of the Army. Within Delta Force, Jill excelled in bomb disposal and lockpicking. Later in 1996, Jill was recruited by Albert Wesker for stars in Raccoon City. She climbed the ranks to the Alpha Team as a B and E specialist. B and E, B and E. What's B and E mean? Bacon and egg. Bacon and egg. Spe- oh, they had that in the army. Yep. Oh, super good at breakfast, dude. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's oh. I should have lied on the tank control question so that I could have gotten in. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Uh, her counterpart, Chris Redfield joined the United States Air Force when he was 17 and learned to fly both planes and helicopters. During this time, he served alongside his eventual best friend, Barry Burton. I want to dig into why that's eventual. Like, <laughs> like it, it took some time. Uh, it took quite a while. Uh, they hated each other. Like, why is this eventual? Maybe that's something we need to dig in, like some, uh, some side episode where we get into the relationship between Chris Redfield and Barry Burton. Like, what was going on? Were they roommates for a while and one of them was just obnoxious and, you know, his, he was too loud in the bunk or something? And then once they moved apart, they, you know took a class together and ended up liking one another because they could cheat off each other on the math test or something. I don't really know, but I feel like there's a good arc there we could really dig into. I think we should. I imagine that they were college roommates. Um, they didn't know each other prior. They arrived. And on the way up to the college, Barry was talking with his mom, his mom driving up to mm. the college. And he's saying, boy, this is going to be so much fun. I just can't <laughs> wait until college. I'm very excited. I've got my my chemistry set and my rock collection. Oh, my gosh. And I got brand new uh, hearing aids that are finally tuned for very low frequency volume of music. So I hope I hope the guy I'm rooming with doesn't like loud music. And then he gets there. Right before he gets there, Chris Redfield kicks the door open in front of him and is like, fuck yeah, party! Turns on some Andrew W.K. and just goes crazy. Yeah, just starts uh, just starts curling a 45-pound weight right in front of him, yeah. Uh, I, I tell you, though, based on your character, your young Barry Burton, he's going to go through a transformation here in a minute that people aren't going to understand. <laughs> he, he, he learned to overcome his speech impediment. Exactly. Maybe. We'll yeah. see. He might have overcompensated a little bit. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Where were we? His eventual best friend, Barry Burton. Uh, he often got into squabbles with Upper Command because of his strong convictions and love of Andrew W.K. and eventually <laughs> resigned in protest, but may have also been discharged for insubordination. It's unclear which. Mm-hmm. He began drifting and didn't really have any aspirations for gainful employment, despite being trained to use a variety of weapons and being known for his ability with knives in hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. He even won contests for marksmanship. Later in 1996, he was scouted by stars and was eventually given the position of point, uh, point man for the Alpha Team. Point man. That's that's esteemed. <laughs> and I love, I love uh, he had no ambitions, no aspirations to contribute to society at all. Uh, but he had access to weapons and the skills to use them. And Alpha Team thought, bingo, this is the guy we want on our team. <laughs> this guy seems uh, dangerous. Should be he be in the front? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he kicks indoors pretty well. That's what Barry says anyway. 
I mean, you're, you're getting pretty judgmental, Caleb. We can't all just write a few short stories and call it quits. I mean, plus, dude learned how to fly planes and helicopters before he was 20. Before I was 20, I couldn't even dress fly. I mean, sure, I was a white guy, so the odds were stacked against me, but still, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Some might say you dressed pretty fly for a white guy, I would say. I mean, fairly fly, even. <laughs> I wonder if he can fly drones. I wonder when the drones came around. He's like, there's a third thing I got to learn. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, probably not, though. All right. Up next is Dr. Albert Wesker, who originally recruited Jills for stars. He was raised as part of a eugenics project led by a researcher known only as Wesker, of whom 13 children assumed the, the surname. So Wesker is not Albert's true last name, but is the name he obtained as a lab rat child. (laughs) He was indoctrinated by Umbrella Pharmaceutical CEO Dr. Oswell Spencer and was involved in several nefarious projects. Eventually, due to a series of strange circumstances, Albert decided to leave Umbrella and gain employment elsewhere. Pizza Hut, probably. He joined the U.S. (laughs) Army in 1991 and was eventually assigned to be a special tactics member of STARS in Raccoon City. As a side note, remember STARS is funded by Umbrella as a private army to protect their laboratories. That's how I'm pronouncing it. That's how you should pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe he did work at Pizza Hut. That, would, that seems like a good stop. You know, everybody's got that middle stop where they hit like hit something right there in mm-hmm. the middle. You know, you don't just go. He from wants one less responsibility. Yeah, yeah, you know, just take a little break or you know, save the money up a little bit. Uh, it's it's kind of sad about Albert Albert Wesker uh, going down the path of darkness. Um, but good news is his lab rat siblings all became lawyers and started Wesker, 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 and Johnson. The youngest, the youngest girl got married there, but uh, good for them. <laughs> I'd call them. Yeah. And lastly, as mentioned, Barry Burton met Chris while they were both enlisted in the U.S. Air Force. Ah, oh, damn it. It can't be this college thing. Uh, Barry left the Air Force to join STARS, where he employed his vast knowledge of weaponry. Once his pal Chris became a drifter, working at Pizza Hut, of course. Barry reached out to Chris and urged him to join STARS as part of STARS. Barry is tasked with maintaining and supplying weapons for the Alpha Team. Maintaining and supplying weapons, that's that's a heavy duty. That's heavy responsibility for being, you know, part of the Alpha Team. They use a lot of weapons. Uh, he had to do other stuff, too. He had to uh, do their laundry uh, and make their beds. Uh, but it was really worth it because one day he's going to be so in. Yeah, they're going to be like, dude, he's he's really putting in the work. I mean, come on, let's cut him, <laughs> cut him some slack. Uh, I, I always kind of pictured Barry. You picture Barry as kind of this like bumbling doofus um, that it just had braces for forever, like never not had them. Like <laughs> every time he would go back to the orthodontist, they're like, just a little bit more, man. I think you, you're getting there. You're getting there. But I, I, I always kind of envisioned Barry as, as more of just like a kind of a, a dim-witted stone cold. Like, hey, name is Barry Burton. Couldn't help but notice your last name is Redfield, and that does nothing but remind me of waking up on a soggy, dewy morning, traipsing out to the meadow and unloading my artillery of mostly illegal firearms on pack of unwitting deer. The babies do. I love guns. Like he just It's all about guns with Barry. This is an interesting glass half full, half half empty kind of case, because notice he focused on bragging about the illegal part of his firearm collection. Yeah. It's not, because really, if you're mostly <laughs> illegal, that means some of them are legal. That's right. Why not lead with that? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very telling of this guy. Oh, so as they enter the mansion, they are taken aback by its size and decor. Barry exclaims, What is this? And Wesker also adds, Wow, what a mansion! <laughs> <laughs> Neato! Then suddenly, Jill realizes, yeah, we're sticking with that voice. I like it. Then suddenly, Jill realizes Chris isn't among them. Believing him to still be outside, she runs for the door, but Wesker orders her to stop. A gunshot rings out, and Barry offers to accompany Jill in getting Chris. Eventually, Wesker steps up and says he'll handle it. 
If you play the game as Chris, it is Barry who becomes separated and does not enter the mansion. Um, at this point, the team is split up to investigate. And it's important to note that every time there's a gunshot, Barry gets a little more erect. That's just something to keep in mind as we power through this narrative. This dude loves guns. <laughs> so, so is he? So if we were to extrapolate this timeline here, and we were to say at the beginning he's flaccid, yeah. At the end. Rock hard. Oh, yeah. That means for most of the game, he's half chubbing it along as he's like limping along, saving children. <laughs> Pretty much, right? like, yeah. That's, Pretty much. Thanks for that mental image. I appreciate yeah. that. All right, so now we're in the mansion. Let's talk about this mansion a little bit because it is a mansion-y mansion. So the plans for the mansion began in 1962 when a wealthy British earl and aristocrat, Oswell E. Spencer, approached architect George Trevor with his plan. Spencer wanted to use the mansion as a lab for top-secret, highly illegal, inhumane experimentation, which included manufacturing bioweapons in the basement. After completion of the mansion's construction in November of 1967, very quick turnaround, mm. five years, wow, Indeed. Spencer held the architect captive in the mansion to be sure the floor plans of the entire layout, especially of the top-secret laboratory, and all the hidden passages would not be revealed to anyone. Fearing Spencer would eventually kill him, Trevor remained hidden away in the mansion, being the only other person with intimate knowledge of its layout. It is presumed that George Trevor eventually died in the mansion, somewhere in the walls. Wow, in the walls. You'd think a guy that had a pretty intimate knowledge of the layout, though, wouldn't have to die in the walls. He would know where, like, where the exits are, too, right? <laughs> That's true. And I, it, depending on how much you would skew the word intimate... Um, I would think only part of him would have died in the wall. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I love, I love the the dying in the walls trope. Uh, that's some like cask of Amontillado stuff and Edgar Allan Poe story that I really love. And uh, I think it was brought up in like Fallout Four. They talked about it because that takes place in Boston, where Edgar Allan Poe's from. Oh, wow. um, Portal, the Portal games with Ratman in the walls takes off, takes that a lot. So yeah, I love it. I love it. It's it's weird and gross and weird and gross, but I love it. I'm into that too, man. I once read a book about a woman with a foot protruding from her abdomen. You, know, so. you sick freak. What kind of what kind of bookshelf examples are you setting for your child? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, his daughter, Lisa Trevor, and wife, Jessica Trevor, were taken to the lab to become test subjects for the progenitor virus, a basis for the bioterrorist agent known as the T-virus, which we'll get to later. So hold, hold on to your hats. Uh, Jessica, the wife, was unresponsive to the viral injection and was terminated as a consequence. She should have just responded to it, man. <laughs> Saved your life. Anyway, Lisa showed promising results and was experimented on for years. Ooh. She eventually developed a habit of removing the faces of her victims wow. and wearing them over her own. Jeez. I get it, man. I have a habit of chewing on my fingernails, so it's kind of the same. I'm an alcoholic, so yeah. <laughs> man, we all have our demons. Yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I have a feeling we'll, uh, we'll hear back. He'll hear from Lisa more in a bit, Yeah, that's my guess. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's talk about these zombies. This is supposed to be a zombie game, right? We haven't even talked about a single zombie yet. <laughs> so back to the story. For this narrative, we will take the perspective of Jill, which is the best character. I'm going to... The female characters are always the best. Let's just say that it's blanket across games. If you have a choice, always choose the female character. They're the best. Um, we'll take the perspective of Jill, who is searching for Chris. The team hears a noise, and then they split up to investigate. Barry comes across some blood on the ground. Jill approaches, and they both hope it's not... Say it with me here. A dog's blood. <laughs> yeah, you're so close. <laughs> Almost got it. Damn. Uh, the next room Jill enters is the dining room, where the slow-turning zombie is mid-feast, and his meal happens to be Kenneth, a member of the Bravo team. 
Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> this is a very iconic moment in gaming history is that zombie slowly turning its head to reveal that horrid face in a similar way my mother turned to me on her deathbed when I told her I wanted to become a famous podcaster. <laughs> At least you said famous. Yeah. I mean, that implies some gumption. You know, I, I mean, right? that's what I said to her. <laughs> You're famous in my eyes, Trav. Well, thank you so much. All right. Jill and Ben, my, well, I have glaucoma, so I wouldn't trust him. Uh, Jill, <laughs> so did she. Jill, Jill and Barry, uh, together, they kill the zombie and return to the main room where they left Wesker. But he's not there. Jill and Barry then decide they want to split up once again and search for Chris and Wesker. What'd you say, Jill? That thing we unloaded <laughs> on wasn't really a person? Shit, I mean, good. <laughs> he would be disappointed, I think, with that. You're right. <laughs> Uh, so Barry gives Jill a lockpick to help her get around and tells her if something happens to meet back up in the hall, unless that's something that happens prevents her from doing so, which is quite possible. <laughs> anyway, at that point, Jill is left on her own to solve the many puzzles that unlock portions of the mansion in her search for Chris and Wesker. Of course, the place is littered with lurking zombies who want nothing more than to take a big bite out of your face or later on spit acid on you. As Jill scours the mansion, she encounters a number of branching paths, offering various dangers and rewards. Here, she has the option to grab a shotgun, but grabbing the shotgun triggers a trap. The roof slowly descends, threatening to crush Jill, but Barry arrives just in time to rescue Jill from becoming a Jill sandwich. Jill sandwich. Hmm. Uh, okay, so I guess I see now why Barry has to do all the laundry and make their beds. He's super lame with insults. What a lot of people don't know is that at Subway, a Jill sandwich is just an inch thick layer of horseradish on a stale cookie. So, <laughs> Wait, do they have horseradish at Subway? I have no idea. Because I'm wondering if they'd have to like specialty bring that in. Because I don't think they have cookies either, right? I think they have cookies. Ah, dang it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> the next split involves the researcher's will. There is a room on the northeast of the mansion that holds a fish tank. If you've picked up the shotgun and the chemicals, after which Barry will supply you with acid rounds and then enter the fish tank room, you'll spot the researcher's will. However, another route is that you locate another Bravo team member first, Forrest, and Barry will already be there examining his corpse. Barry then hands you Forrest's bazooka. <laughs> how do you die to a single zombie if you're packing a bazooka? Yeah, I mean, maybe the guy just didn't know how to use it. <laughs> That's true. Is it? Yeah, he wasn't the one that was trained in all the weapons. The, zo- right, the zombies so. bumbling toward him, and he's like, oh, I'm never, oh, I get to use my bazooka. Oh, but it's it, this is kind of a tight hallway. I don't know if I could, maybe if I could just pull, is that a locking pin on it, or if I just pull this back? Oh, God, 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 Go to the fish tank room. Barry will already be reading the researcher's will. Well, trying to. It's Barry. Uh, the researcher's will. But when he hands it to you, the first half is... <gasps> missing. Missing? The will says... My dear Alma, the fact that you received this letter is both a joy and a sadness to me. I could not even talk to you because of that guy in the sunglasses. Alma, be calm and read this. I think I've told you that I moved to a pharmaceutical company's lab. That is the first half that is ripped off, and the rest follows. They had hunted me. Last month there was an accident in the lab, and the virus we're studying escaped. All my colleagues who were infected by the virus are dead. To be accurate, they've become the living dead. They still wander around. Some of them are knocking on my room desperately right now. So I chose a peaceful death. Rather than becoming the living dead, 
Within an hour, I will be entered in my eternal sleep. I do hope you will understand my decision. Uh, goodbye and forever yours. Oh, my God. I <laughs> This reminds me how bad video game writing was back in the day. There's so much to unpack here. I don't think we'll really be able to. But I love that he knows exactly when he's going to die. Um, he sums up all of humanity in four uh, emotions. I, I just... I just wish that Barry hadn't read the note like that to Jill. He's like, I found this note. Well, read it, Barry. And then he just – I also like the fact that he has a little bit trouble reading, but he gets really into it. Yeah, exactly. I th- I want to – you played that really well, that trouble reading it part. That was amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally acted that out. Now, it's implied that the front half was torn off to eliminate any incriminating evidence to one of the star's members' ties to Umbrella. And which star member would that have been? Hmm. Who has sunglasses? Albert Wesker? Why would Barry tear that part off? Who knows? No idea. I got no idea what I, what I would do that for. Now, it's at this point in the story we will introduce the listeners to the Tyrant Virus, otherwise known as the T-Virus. Why not TV? I mean, you're slacking, Ari. <laughs> Ari's resident evil. Uh, anyway, the T-Virus is a mutant strain of the progenitor virus, which existed in ancient West Africa, you know, that city, and has the ability to infect a number of different organisms. Several, I would say. Ten, maybe. From humans to animals, plants, and eat oh, four, four. Four of them. The mutant strain <laughs> was created by Umbrella Pharmaceuticals in the late 1960s. Huh. About when that mansion was kind of coming about. Interesting. To eliminate the need for a large-scale conventional army and to generate revenue for the eugenics program. Wow. And, uh, and I, for one, am actually very happy that a eugenics program, stay with me, couldn't sustain itself without outside <laughs> funding. This actually gives me hope. For the world of Raccoon City. That's nice. Yeah, for a city ran by raccoons, that's that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> that's also like the kind of thing a CEO just fits in a list of other items during their <laughs> annual semi-financial <laughs> briefing. Like, all right, this year, guys, we need to focus on our revenue from outside sources. Okay. Solidify our contacts overseas. The eugenics Absolutely, program. Yeah. Publishing mm-hmm. more journals. Attracting yeah. the brightest students. Absolutely. Hey, wait. Um, what was that? Was that middle thing? And pizza every Thursday in the cafeteria. Oh, pizza Thursdays! <laughs> Woo! People just forget about that whole eugenics thing. And you know what? There's probably a part in there that you'll need to edit out because I think I nodded and said, uh-huh, at the eugenics program part. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm-hmm, Wait a second. Anyway, in order to do this, the virus had to be highly contagious to the point of infecting an entire population and guaranteeing a 100% mortality rate. Since this was believed to be nearly impossible to control, by 1978, Umbrella moved from creating something lethal and highly contagious to one that would mutate hosts to become stronger and remain alive, despite the organ failures and brain damage that come with the spontaneous growth. This would lead to murderous aggression and obsessive hunger that could lead to cannibalism among the hosts. Ooh. All right, let's talk about the cabin. Uh, Eventually, Jill finds a door at the back of the mansion that opens to a graveyard and some on-site dormitories. She then comes to a cabin lighted by a lantern and with a fire going, but that appears ransacked and abandoned. She's knocked to the floor by something. But when Mm. she wakes, she is face-to-face with a shuffling, humanoid-like creature, hunchbacked with ankle shackles and tentacles spilling from its head. Jill shoots the creature until it falls, but it gets back up and shovels once again toward Jill. She sprints from the cabin. This shackled and tentacled occupant of the cabin, none other than Lisa Trevor. Oh, oh man. Oh, shit. God damn, I thought you were going to say Bernie Sanders for a second. <laughs> he traffics in just, just shackles, not tentacles. <laughs> just bumbling and stumbling his way very just slowly. Just bumbling and stumbling. <laughs> uh, 
the, the top one percent of this mansion <laughs> occupies. I don't know. Uh, okay, this story of Lisa is very sad, and as we said before, she was subjected to the T virus, which mutated her into a monster, a monster that ripped the faces off her victims and wore them. A literal face mask, if you will. Uh, how did it get to that? Well, after her mother, Jessica, was killed, Lisa obviously became upset, as one would do. Yeah. So Dr. Oswell Spencer, the owner of the mansion and its illegal laboratories, oh, sorry, dang it, laboratories, <laughs> had a lab assistant dress as Lisa's mother for kinky purposes, but mostly to fool Lisa and make her calm. However, that backfired once the deception was revealed. Can you imagine the lab assistants drawing straws for that gig? Oh, no. <laughs> I got to throw on a muumuu and go play Scrabble in the dungeon with Lisa. And then, like, one day the letters she has in front of her on her, like, little Scrabble stand or whatever spell out the mom is a lie, which I admit that's way too many letters for Scrabble, but it is 19 points. And Lisa's warped mind takes it for fact and just goes berserk and mauls the lab assistant. <laughs> and the whole time the lab assistant's just like, but no, don't hurt. <laughs> no, you're going to get the moo dirty now. <laughs> I, Barry's going to be real mad because he has to do the laundry. <laughs> and I'm trying to get on his good side. I think he's going to survive this game. All right. <laughs> the side effects of the drugs and virus they used on her disillusioned her into thinking the abductors had stolen her mother's face. Hmm. That's actually kind of sad. So she stabbed the lab assistant and cut off her face with the hopes of returning it to her mother. Aww. Yeah. And she wasn't she wasn't gonna hijack Mother's Day or even a birthday for this gift. No, this was a genuine just because I love you, mom, here's your face back kind of gift. You know, a parent a parent could only hope to have a daughter as lovely as Lisa. I'll uh, say it. That is so sweet. That is I mean, <laughs> other than the sad shit you've been saying, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, I know. It is on a good note. <laughs> it did. Uh, so then uh, so so she then escaped the lab and found the altar beneath the mansion's entrance hall where she located a tomb engraved with her mother's name confirming her mother's death. Oh. She was eventually recaptured and kept in solitude for the next 11 years in the lab's prison cell. 11 years. God. Yeah. Well, it's nice though that they did give her a grave. I mean, it's nice Dr. Oswald Spencer. He may make monsters, but he's not one. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. All the people that <laughs> died at the hands of Oswald Spencer either signed a consent form prior to experimentation, were gullible architects, or mm-hmm. were kind to one. They all deserved what they got. 100%. Or got graves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> uh, okay. Here, she underwent ongoing experimentation, which remained classified from most of the other Umbrella employees. She was selected as a recipient for a different virus called the Ni-Alpha-type parasite or Ni-Alpha-type parasite. Hmm. We'll go with Ni. It's funner to say Ni-Alpha-type parasite. Okay. Engineered to take over the brain functions of the bioorganic weapons. But in previous trials, the parasite had killed the test subjects. Lisa's toxic body, however, not only killed the parasite, but dissolved it and spliced its DNA into her, causing another mutant strain called Golgotha. Or the G-Virus. Huh. Ain't that some shit. Like, at this point, the scientists are really just searching for ways to kill her, but it keeps backfiring. It's like trying to put out a grease fire with random chemicals you find under your sink, and instead of putting out the fire, it just gets bigger and kills you for having a face like its mother. <laughs> uh, I love <laughs> I love that, um, th- that, that the reaction is to pour random chemicals on the fire. Um, <laughs> I know, right? That doesn't make any sense. Even, you know, you, we are talking about scientists. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they'd be that stupid. But, it, you know... It made sense at the time when I said it. Well, and, and you're not supposed to put out grease fires with water. So, That's I mean, true. I guess if all you have is water and random chemicals, you know one of them's bad. <laughs> That's right. The other one might be bad. You don't let's, know. Let's try all the borax in the Drano. I really don't know what will happen. 
<laughs> Over the next seven years, she regained some of the intelligence she had lost and became a serious danger to the lab when she began attacking female researchers similarly to how she did back in 1967 when she stole that one assistant's face. <laughs> After three deaths in the lab in 1995, they made the decision to kill Lisa. Yikes. Three deaths, all right. <laughs> Took that long, huh? That, that does seem high. <laughs> Seeing as she was no longer any use to them scientifically. Oh, so had she proven usefulness, she could have went on killing, I guess? I guess so, yeah. Come on, mad scientists, get it together. Uh, the new chief of research at the time, Dr. Clemens, took her body to a secret location, but it turns out Lisa was not dead. It is unclear if Clemens knew this or not, but it was here at this cabin that Lisa found a new home. Ooh. Eventually, Jill comes across Richard Aiken up at the mansion attic, another Bravo team member with two syllables for last name. Mm. He's lying on the ground, dying from a venomous snake bite. Jill offers to go fetch a serum, but the clock is ticking. If the player is able to return in less than seven minutes, Jill gets Richard's radio. Otherwise, he's dead when you arrive and you get no radio. Aww. <laughs> I want to know where the radio went, honestly. I mean, in his last breath delusions, did he think it was a cure-all suppository? <laughs> <laughs> like, and he just, it's gone. I mean, it's got to go somewhere. Uh, and I wonder if Jill maybe uh, checked. Press, if, press if A to check. Press A to check inside <laughs> Richard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not here that was all for not let me check Jill move over <laughs> uh, so the snake named the yawn is a bioorganic weapon created by umbrella which is good because if it was not created by umbrella it was just hanging out in there <laughs> I'd have a lot of questions uh, the Arclay lab nicknamed it the yawn because of the way its mouth opens before attacking resembling a yawn uh. Nice. Uh, other suggested names include the bite, uh, the going to bite me, <laughs> the big mouth used for biting, and the fang hole. Oh, but because Chad is the Umbrella CEO's nephew, they went with his dumb suggestion. Chad, damn it, Chad. Uh, the, f- the fang hole though would be. <laughs> I've actually I've been to that bar. Have you ever been to the the fang hole? <laughs> yeah, they have the biggest, meatiest, girthiest snakes I've ever seen. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, In early 1998, the yawn was one of the test subjects specifically bred to be a weapon, but the specimen escaped and avoided recapture. Mm. Probably by just showing its big fangs and people ran. I doubt it was really that stealthy. It's a giant (laughs) snake. It's very big. It's very big. (laughs) It was eventually infected with the T-virus and made a home in the mansion. Prior to Jill finding Richard, he and his cohort, Rebecca Chambers, two syllables, had been cornered (laughs) by the giant serpent. It attacked and bit Richard before slinking back into the dark walls. But Rebecca was spared. Oh, good for her. Yeah, there always has to be one to carry on the story. Um, I remember on the PS1, the yawn moved like a glitchy robot, like one of those plastic, like, jointed snake toys you'd win at school carnivals as a child. You know, you'd hold them level, and they just kind of slowly move back and forth. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I think my dad told me those were made out of clown fingers that had been glued <laughs> together, which heightened my fear of snakes, clowns, and fingers. So, yeah, I do kind of remember those. Um, but seriously, I've been terrified of snakes my entire life and thought this was well done enough for its time to actually give me the actual factual willies when I was playing it. It's easily my least favorite part of the game for that reason, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, I did play the remastered version on GameCube, so maybe it looked a little better than your experience. No, and fair enough, too. I don't want to make it sound like I'm above being afraid of snakes. I absolutely am. Um, <laughs> and I bet, like, I bet it, it, because the rest of the PlayStation 1 context of the game was sort of jagged and janky, I'm sure at the time I was full in on believing the snake. Mm, of course. Um, I just remember it being not very uh, acrobatic, um, which yeah. snakes generally very quick. So 
it was a little disappointing. And that's my biggest problem with the snake. Very quick and, and very stealthy. Yeah, you should be scared. And big fangs. So upon leaving Richard, Jill runs the risk of being poisoned by the yawn herself. And if so, she must find the serum for her own survival, sealing Richard's fate immediately. If Jill is bitten, of course, Jill being you, the player, if Jill is bitten, she'll collapse and faint. And Barry once again arrives just in time to carry her to the serum room where he eventually awakens. There was a serum room the whole time? The whole time. Just a whole room for serum. It even says it on the placard near the door. <laughs> serum room. It's not even a hidden door. Uh, I just, you know, you get Barry coming up there. Oh, hey there, Jill. Hey. Oh, looks like you took a mighty big bite from that gigantic swamp worm. Hey, good thing I was traipsing through here looking for more guns. She just gets lucky that Barry's just running around just uh, ransacking the place for firearms. <laughs> just keeps running into her. You know, if, if PlayStation 1 had a better draw distance, I would have loved a few scenes where way off in the middle distance, you just see, like, uh, like muzzles blast a little bit, and you hear him like, woo woo like, <laughs> would have been the best. Oh, I love it. Uh, I wish I was smart enough to mod games, because that would be the first one I'd do. Uh, so, if the snake has to kill you, meaning you suck as a player, it will start to swallow you from the torso and chew you up inside its massive jaws with blood probably yours spurting from its mouth <laughs> it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome i mean aside from it not being that great for you in the moment it's pretty cool i've seen better big thick earthy snakes down at that <laughs> bar by the airport so i don't down at the fang hole yeah down at the fang hole <laughs> down at the fang hole <laughs> <laughs> i'll ride that jingle don't you worry next jill makes her way to the guardhouse in a row of dormitories where scientists live before encountering a giant plant that wants to kill you. Oh man! And there's nothing. There's nothing good about pissed off weed. And I wonder the the plant is called. I mean, it's called Plant Forty Two. But you add a zero to that, you get four twenty. It's all about that herb, baby. All about that herb. That reminds me of a song I heard once. About... <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think it kind of looks like a maypole. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with these. Uh, it's basically like a really old. Um, I guess park amusement kind of ride, I guess, but it's basically a giant pole with a bunch of ribbons coming down from it. Kids would grab onto it and like, kind of walk around from it or walk around it and sing songs, I guess, and skip or do whatever. Right. Uh, I sort of kind of expected to see a bunch of bored European kids from the 1940s <laughs> holding its vines and kind of skipping around it, wishing for better toys, like a, like a PlayStation. <laughs> oh, that would have sucked to live back then. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm I've not heard of a maypole, but I get all my pole in June, so maybe that's why. <laughs> that's probably why. <laughs> Down at the fang hole. Yeah. So <laughs> Plant Forty Two, as it was codenamed, is a large plant. <laughs> it wasn't its birth name, okay? Like that's what its code name was. Whatever. <laughs> its mom wasn't weird, okay? Its its birth name was Philip. Uh, <laughs> so Plant Forty Two, as it was codenamed, is a large plant infused with a T virus, and was part of a project conducted by researcher Dr. Henry. Sar? Nope, Sartin. Two syllables. He mm. injected the plant with a T-virus out of curiosity, <laughs> and in a short time, only a matter of weeks, the plant had grown to overtake an entire room of the dormitory. It was known to use its vines to manipulate doorknobs and even drain the blood of researchers who tried to destroy it. It can be easily killed with a chemical known as V-Jolt, uh, according to Star Sartin's team, but Jill, at this point in the game, may or may not have come across the chemical in the mansion. Man, I wonder what, uh, I wonder what the V... The V stands for in V-Jolt. Uh, Volt. Volt-Jolt. Volt. <laughs> it's like you would just say that. It's got a nice ring to it. you got to get the marketing in there, right? They're going to mass produce this. They're not keeping it in the mansion. Come on. Uh, so I remember uh, that to kill this plant, I think you had to go 
to the floor below, go to its root systems and apply the chemicals to the roots. I think you could kill it up top too, but that was the easier way is to <laughs> apply the chemicals to the roots. And I don't know if this was just me, and this is me being a, a, a somewhat vulnerable in this podcast here. Mm. <laughs> I swear, like, I, 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 I didn't like doing that because I almost felt like a pervert looking up a skirt. Like, <laughs> and I'm only half joking, like, because the, I think the, the plant was like so anthropomorphic uh-huh. and it had like arms and stuff. That's logically its lower yeah, yeah. half. And there was this clear separation of floor and it just felt, I felt icky yeah, doing it. Um, I was a weird. Yeah, maybe that's what was though. pissed. You were peeping at its roots. Didn't like that. <laughs> it wanted me to see those roots. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, okay. So to get the volt jolt, uh, Jill must use the scientist notes she has found to create the chemical, but in doing so must cross a bridge that is circled by a trio of giant sharks known as hmm. Neptunes. Interesting. Uh, yes. Yep. They are a subspecies of great white shark and were named after the Roman god of the sea. They were, one, they were one of the earliest bioweapons created in the Arclay Laboratory, but researchers were unimpressed with the end result. Fucking researchers. They left a female for continued research who had 12 pups and only two survived. That's they were kept in a tank for further study. Uh, once the shark observatory is drained by the player, the sharks are left helpless and they die. That's also sad. I gotta go back. Why were they unimpressed with giant crazy sharks? Uh, what what did this giant shark, which they managed to keep contained, unlike their failed snake monster and Lisa Trevor, uh, have to do to impress them? I, is the ability to escape a sign of success and therefore they want their things to escape? It's like this weird sort of <laughs> mind trick they're playing on their creations. And I don't know. Yeah, it's like... Uh, Dr. Jones, uh, I've heard you've been working on a mutated shark. Uh, How's that going? Well, things have been going quite well. Uh, We we have found some success with a number of our mutations. Uh, Our shark is faster and meaner and bigger than any naturally bred shark on the planet. Oh, yes, great. Uh, Is it still in its tank? I suppose you'd like to see it. Of course it's still in its tank. Then it sucks. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> God, I like Dr. Smith, but I don't like it, you know? You know? I want to high five him, <laughs> yeah. but maybe just once. You know, he high fives something after that. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did. He looked around like, oh, all right, we'll do. So back to plant 42. The plant can take a while to kill without Volgel, mm. but with the use of explosives shots or acid shots, it shouldn't be too long. Even though Jill destroys the plant once it realizes its defeat and it appears its tentacles have all fallen off, it bursts back to life and grabs Jill. Mm-hmm. But on cue, guess who? Uh. Barry. Barry <laughs> comes to the rescue. Uh, he rescues Jill by burning the plant with a flamethrower, which begs the question, why doesn't Barry just kind of stick around? I swear to God, Jill, I swear to God. I don't know how you're getting around here, but let me ask you this. Have you seen a shooter? <laughs> I'm going on four hours right now, and if I don't, <laughs> I'm going on four hours right now, and if I don't find something soon, I'm going to have to poop in one of these. Ga- <laughs> I'm going to have to poop in one of these guns. All right, all right, Barry, Barry, I've got a few questions. Um, one, um, you're you're in a dilapidated mansion. I I think you could probably go anywhere. No one's going to call you out on it. Uh, second of all. Four hours? I mean, that seems like a pretty pretty abbreviated amount of time. Uh, I guess Barry does seem like the kind of guy who has the diet to require <laughs> pooping every four hours. Like, he just feels like that kind of guy. It's been an emergency for four hours. You don't understand. <laughs> oh, I got it. 
<laughs> this this turtle head is really curious about everything. It's really looking around. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Pretty it much, saw Plant man. 42 and was like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> which gun would he choose? Like, now how would he de- determine which gun he's going to go in? Like, I guess the widest barrel. He'd just, you know, <laughs> what if, grab the bazooka and just go to town. What if that's his favorite gun? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it really only affects the person getting shot next. <laughs> Well, the bullet does that already, so I don't know if it's really that big of a concern. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, instead of Barry sticking around, uh, he says he's going to stay in the area and look around and tells Jill uh, once again that they're better off separating, and Jill replies with, Okay, okay. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Shortly after, Jill reunites with Wesker, who seems to, a little surprised to see Jill is alive. She asks where he's been, and he replies, I'm sorry, but I have my reasons. <laughs> was that his voice? I can't remember Wesker's voice. Yeah, That's his voice pretty now. close. <laughs> and most of those reasons, I assume, are diarrhea related. Hey, me too, man. Me too, man. George Trevor really skipped on the bathrooms, if I'm being honest. <laughs> these herbs, that they, so I mean, to be fair, they're only subsisting on herbs. Like these, these green leafy vegetables. So they're full of foliage. They've got some roughage. Uh, and they got to get rid of it, man. <laughs> <laughs> they each agree to separate and find more clues. Jill now has access to new rooms thanks to picking up the helmet key. Jill accesses dark corridors with a new enemy type, a hunter. These human-animal hybrids lean a little on the amphibious side, but possess giant claws on their hands and feet, and they can do a lot of damage. They also rarely travel alone. Ah, so... They're a sorority. <laughs> uh, is that a graveyard in, in my sorority yard? I don't know if I like this place. Shut up. You're embarrassing me, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Kathy. <laughs> Fucking Kathy. You know, Kathy, the most uh, well-known of all sorority sister names. <laughs> Kathy. If your name is Kathy, thank you for listening. We love you. <laughs> and how was your sorority life? Please tell us and uh, leave us a comment. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, once those are either once once the hunters are either avoided or shot to death, Jill finds herself in an unassuming spot near a piano. Jill curiously plays some notes on the piano, and surprise, the snake is back, and he's out <laughs> for revenge. Since you thwarted his dinner back in the attic, you can relax though. The snake isn't venomous, but still, oh, the snake must die. I get it. My my snake comes out anytime I hear John Legend play, <laughs> so that makes total. Is sense that what you play on the piano? It's been a while since I've played this game. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the snake is finally defeated after Jill unloads her heaviest artillery and masterfully dodges the massive serpent strikes. Once dead, it dissolves into a pile of purple goo, and Jill walks over to the gaping hole the snake made and peers down it. Then guess who shows up? That's right. Barry. Yeah, Barry. And- Barry! Barry! He's here. He encourages Jill to drop down in the hole to explore and hands her a rope to do so. <laughs> Jill, always oh, trusting man. Barry follows the suggestion okay okay i'll do it <laughs> deal what is your problem every time i turn a corner in this house i gotta save you with a new gun <laughs> Woo! hey oh boy that's a lot of purple goo over there anyway jill i'm glad you're safe i really couldn't be happier to see you unless you were a bathroom because i'm starting to hurt <laughs> wait <laughs> So there's a giant hole in the room. <laughs> he still hasn't put that. Yeah, he, just, he has put two and two together there. He's like, he makes her go down yeah. there to make sure it's safe. He doesn't want to put his put his bee hole over top of a hole. He doesn't understand. He does, you know, there could be anything down there. It could be a big snake. 
<laughs> hop down, hop down that turd-sized hole and see if maybe there's a toilet down there. Can you do that for me, Jill? <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, okay, so then Barry finds a code with a passcode scrawled on it. It says pass number eight one zero eight three one zero, and Jill takes it from him. That sounded aggressive. I think she, there is kind of a mutual exchange. Uh, they once again split up. Hey, Jill, here you go. This is my phone number. I'm just kidding. Hey, you got any guns? Or turlet. You got turlet or you got enough guns? I got several extra. This one almost had some poop in it, so you should be really happy. <laughs> uh, I didn't give you the poop gun. I got a lettuce gun. Can, does that say? <laughs> don't shit in the lettuce gun. You don't ever Never shit in the lettuce, lettuce gun. gun. That's, that's right. <laughs> Uh, Since the mansion has been a menagerie of relentless horrors, it's time to venture out. Finding an elevator in the courtyard on the other side of a secret door, Jill descends down into a series of old mining tunnels (laughs) where a prospector narrates every action. (laughs) At one end of one of the tunnel systems is an access path to a dark cavern where Jill once again stumbles into Barry, who is this time with Enrico Marini. Three syllables. The vice captain of stars <laughs> under Cap- Captain Albert Wesker. He is also the team leader of the missing Bravo team. Enrico is excited to see Jill, and the three of them exchange brief present pleasantries before Enrico admits he believes stars are doomed because one of them is a traitor. Enrico says, Everything was plotted from the start by Umbrella! And at the moment, a gunshot rings out, and we see blood gush from his head. Oh, good, he's dead. I don't have to do that accent again. <laughs> and he cries out in pain slumping over to the ground. Jill cries out for him as Barry rushes to his side, but it's too late. Enrico has been assassinated. Oh, man. Footsteps can be heard running away, and Jill gives chase, but a pack of hunters makes tracking the culprit impossible, so instead they escape. What did Enrico know, and who killed him? Meanwhile, Barry has his finger in the wound, fishing around for the bullet, because if he eats it before (laughs) it gets cold, he'll turn into a gun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's his destiny. He's just in there deep, not even paying attention to anything else. G- give me some inner monologue of Barry, of Barry slurping around in there. Go. Yeah. See if I can get, let me see if I can get, what, what is that? Is that a kidney or what? What is that? Is that oh, I'm a, oh, that's something hard right there. That's bone. That's bone right there. Let me see. Oh, there it is right there. Oh, if I can just finger it out. If I can just finger it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ah, hand scene. So Barry and Jill once again go separate ways for some reason. God damn it, Barry and Jill. Just are are they or aren't they? That's what I got got to know. So Jill finds a hex crank, which was, I think, like the early 90s, like ultimate puzzle thing in every video game. So I'm glad it appears here. It's let you know it's a real video. That's right. So Jill finds a hex crank that will allow her to pass through a blocked passageway where she encounters a boulder that rolls toward her Indiana Jones style. That's a sexy style. Jill dives into a doorway to avoid being smashed, Ooh. and the boulder breaks through a wall. Jill enters the smashed wall and encounters a looming nightmare. Oh, no. And Indiana Jones boulder. I mean, Oswald Spencer really did think of everything. I mean, except for enough bathrooms. And I keep, I keep thinking that Barry and Jill, every time they part, Barry crop duster a little bit. <laughs> He's got to be careful. I don't think it's, it's he's going to full on like flood the place. I, I don't think it's going to be a crop dust. <laughs> Maybe Indiana Jones Boulder was like the nickname he gave his turtle Pokemon. Like, Jill, you better run. You, you don't want to be in this room when the Indiana Jones Boulder comes out. I swear. Oh, man. We are going to talk a little bit about Black Tiger. Uh, finally, finally a cat in this game. So, <laughs> yes. Black Tiger is the name given to a web spinner. 
That's a weird, that's a weird cat. A nearly four foot tall spider-like creature that weighs nearly 100 pounds. Ugh. Oh. Hmm. The reason it's called a web spinner and not a spider is because the web spinners were created by the lab and because Umbrella respects the scientific classification taxonomy system. Once again, <laughs> they create monsters. They aren't monsters, okay? <laughs> Although, ironically, they do not produce webs at all. However, they are mutated spiders that contracted the T-virus. Web spinners are not really spiders or tigers. Huh. Well, I mean, that's that's a relief. That's true. I mean, that's one way to, I guess, <laughs> instill fear in victims. Uh, so the, the black tiger vomits venom, and after Jill barrages it with explosives and fire shots via the bazooka, it doesn't last long. Once defeated, the black tiger releases baby versions of itself to defend its mother. Ew. A little late. A little late for that. <laughs> Release <laughs> the babies before you die. Uh, Jill, sensing the opportunity, <laughs> flees toward the door, which is now covered in a thick layer of webs. Now, I assume that those webs are made of polyester and were purchased at a massive discount from Party City the day after <laughs> Halloween because, as we've stated, the Black Tiger does not produce webs. That's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good point. point. Do you think uh, Oswald Spencer put a little bit on there for, for Party City? Put a little on the old uh, purchase card? <laughs> I think he did, yeah. Business Party expense. City webs for downstairs. <laughs> oh, and he man. probably really threw their inventory out of whack. Like, he showed up the day after and bought, like, literal tons of spider webs. And they're thinking, man, we really got to order up next year. Little did they know, <laughs> this place isn't going to last a year. <laughs> it's, it's, come on. <laughs> He also must have done something with candy corn as well because they there's surplus of that from the 60s still around to this day. <laughs> That's true. Candy corn sucks. Because Oswald oh. Spencer was killing people with it, I guess, and by bulk. Maybe that's why Barry has to go so bad. He found the stock <laughs> and he just gorged himself. Yeah. Oh, I've got the uh, I've got the candy corn hole. It's 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 gonna happen, guys. Uh, <laughs> so Jill locates another elevator and descends further this time to an underground river with a nearby loading dock. Guess who is lurking down there? <laughs> Barry, nope. Good old shackled and tentacled Lisa Trevor. Who's that lady? Who's that lady? Beautiful lady. Who's that lady? Who's that lady? Be nice if they played that track as she's just gallivanting off into the woods. <laughs> Once again, mod opportunities. Why am I not smarter? I gotta Jesus. do this. So Jill, honoring the lesson learned that Lisa will not go quietly, decides to run from Lisa and finds a drainage ditch that has been converted into a candlelit hiding spot. Jill finds that the area resembles the room of a young girl. Jill, not knowing Lisa or her history at this time, has no idea why this is. She's creeped out for sure. She locates an item that can help her access the rear door of the mansion, and she ascends a ladder from the hideout that leads back to the graveyard. Oh, good, the graveyard. Huh. Yay. So, so at this point, Jill thinks there's a demented hell witch chasing her and an orphan oh, little girl right. living in a lean-to in a graveyard, but she can calm down because it's the same problem. <laughs> but let that be a lesson here for this episode. If you are feet away from an evil mansion, or even in a neighborhood that has a graveyard in it, and you find an area that looks inhabited by only a little girl, <laughs> burn it down. Burn it down. There is no little girl. And actually, you're probably already dead, but just burn it down. <laughs> oh, man. And for extra, for extra narrative panache, use those already lit candles. Yeah. Oh, uh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Why would a why would a little girl just use candles? I mean, what is she from the 15th century? I mean, come on. I, I'm. I don't think the the monstified version of Lisa Trevor can light a candle. I don't. I don't know who did that for her. Yeah. Someone knows about this monster. This is someone's perverted little like secret like 
sex thing. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Could, could be a sex thing, but also think of the idea like, you know, you're kind of saying she doesn't have a steady enough hand to light a candle, but I kind of imagine like after a fresh kill, she goes back to that little re- lean-to hut or whatever and just lights a big black and mild, <laughs> leans back and just just tokes on it a little bit, strokes her like grotesque, outgrown parts and just thinks about the thinks about that fresh kill. And it's just the black and mild because she can't have a black and mild and like a whiskey because every time she goes up to like like <laughs> to suck back on the cigar, it's it's whiskey all over her front. You know, she's shackled. And it puts it out. It puts it out. It does. It's, just, it's, uh, yeah. it's a never ending problem. Uh, poor Lisa. I think she's the real like sad part of this whole story. Truly. Um, and maybe so, some of the best comedic fodder, but also the saddest thing. <laughs> They're usually the same, right? It is true. So finally, back at the mansion, Jill enters the last door that leads down into a long flight of stairs and into Jessica Trevor's crypt, being guarded by Lisa. Thankfully, guess who? Barry! He's here to help. Yay! Uh, He's here to help Jill open Jessica's sarcophagus. Lisa grabs Jessica's skull and scurries into a pit. Jesus, Jessica, Trevor cries, Jill. How did you get in here and what are you going to do with that poor woman's skull? And it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he could have used the skull. That's why he's mad. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I was going to shit that. Oh. You know, he was so ex- Yeah, damn, he was stoked, too. That's He had that on his radar. He's like, I'm going to go down to that sarcophagus. <laughs> I'm going to get that skull. I'm going to take a big old bear in it. <laughs> and then he got there just in time to see Jill lift it up and at least I take off with it. Damn it. <laughs> You think that was like his first, like when he first got the pangs of a little bit of, a little bit of, a little, a little bit of undeckness, his first thought was, I hope they have toilet skulls here. Man. I mean, it's creepy. It's got some zombies, uh, some dead things. I, you know, it's looking positive. I just got to find it. That's the problem. Sarcophagus. Yes. Don't let Jill in. Don't let her know that I really want the skull. Because then she'll, like, make me pay for it. All right. So, like, oh, a skull. What? You can have it. <laughs> no, come back. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Goes down the esophagus, ends up in the sarcophagus. <laughs> oh, man. That's good. All right. A letter in the coffin informs Jill that Lisa is, in fact, the decrepit creature who was once a girl relentlessly abused by Umbrella's experimentation. She spent the last 30 years in agonizing pain locked inside a mutating body that will never die. I mean, mine isn't mutating or anything, but I feel that. <laughs> yeah, I see. <laughs> the, just beyond the crypt is an access point to the laboratories, where Jill descends deeper once again beneath the mansion. It is here that Jill learns the truth of Albert, two-syllable Wesker, who is lurking somewhere on site. A slideshow in the audio-visual room identifies Wesker, of course, wearing his patented shades as the leader of this group of stars traitors. He was instructed by his supervisors of Umbrella to betray stars in order to cover up the accident that released the T-virus. We need someone on the inside, someone who could handle the gravity of this. Uh, Our only choice is Wesker uh, and Enrico, uh, the leader of the Bravo team. I wouldn't select anyone from the Bravo team. They couldn't find their way out of Raccoon City if they crashed in the middle of it. Wesker wears shades literally all day, and even when he sleeps... Why are we even discussing this then? Call Albert in while I turn on this incriminating recording device. As Jill learns this, Wesker is preparing his greatest betrayal of all deep in the laboratory's storage room. Jill meets up with Barry, and the two walk together off an elevator where they turn a corner and see Wesker. Barry then puts a gun to Jill's head 
Wesker, pleased with Barry, then explains himself to Jill that he actually plans to double-cross Umbrella by blowing up the mansion and all of its secrets. He tells her that the betrayal of stars was to cover his and the company's tracks. He also admits that he blackmailed Barry to help him destroy evidence. To cap it all off, Wesker tells Jill that Chris was actually taken prisoner and is inside a cell in the lab, alive. I'm sorry, Jill, but Albert has a bunch of pictures of my pee pee, and I, I couldn't let that get out. I'm real sorry about this. God, I would. Ahmad, God dang it, I want to. Okay, so while watching a video feed together, Wesker tells Jill he plans to unleash tyrants. Okay. My favorite part, like you know, he, you probably started with like family like slideshows. He's like, "Hey, Jill, come here and look, look at all, look at all this, Jill. I want to show you some stuff. You don't like this? All right, fine. I'll show you this unleashed tyrant video feed. Fine, I'll do that. I don't care. <laughs> you don't want to see the joy that I brought to my family in the Appalachians last year? Fine, fine. You don't have to. We'll watch. We'll watch Tyrant. Uh, so while watching a video feed together, Wesker tells Jill he plans to unleash Tyrant. Jill, while watching a camera fixed on a stasis tube, physically reacts to what she sees in the on the feed. Tyrant." codenamed T-002, was part of the Arclay Lab's quest to develop the ultimate form. The Tyrant was the first successful attempt by Umbrella to create an enhanced human bioweapon intelligent enough to take orders and strong enough to fully replace soldiers. Early trials used convicts with beneficial genetic traits as test subjects, but they all perished. Due to the T-virus outbreak, the development of T-002 clones was cut short. The Tyrant is an imposing humanoid creature with one giant arm with four lengthy sharp claws extruding from it. It is said to stand 8 feet 7 inches and weigh 540 pounds. No wonder Jill shuddered at the sight. Yeah, no shit. Don't get lost in the fiction here either. Like, after you've seen giant snakes and spiders, it's easy to just view Tyrant as something kind of boring. But think about this. Robert Ludlow, 8 foot 11 inches, tallest man ever recorded on Earth, 439 pounds. Had Just because he had a super horny pituitary gland, this guy wasn't made in like a, like a lab or anything. This was like God made his pituitary gland like way too hornacular, and it just sprouted this dude straight up. And he moved like a zombie. Like, he's not fast. He wasn't, like, they didn't even, the Lakers didn't even think about him. They were like, he's just a light pole. We don't want that. So this guy moves slow. But imagine someone as tall as, I mean, go Google Robert Ludlow right now and see him beside other people. It's it's unsettling how big he is. Imagine nine foot tall. He has 100 more pounds on Ludlow, this tyrant guy. Moves like a rugby player, a horny one, not not his pituitary <laughs> gland, like his, his bits. Or, I mean, he's just, he wants, he wants it. And remember, remember that part in Signs? Do you remember that, like, M. Night, M. Night, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, that, it was the Mel Gibson movie, I think, like, right around, like, a little bit before we found out that <laughs> Mel Gibson had some opinions he should keep to himself. <laughs> when the alien walks past that birthday party in broad daylight, just like, th- that step, and it just kind of, ugh, it shook you. I imagine that's what Jill experienced when she saw this, this giant, uh, thing with this claw come out, you know, in this feed. I mean, that's... It is big. It is mm-hmm. big. I think. I think because it's a dude, it seems a little less weird than a snake or a spider or, the, or some of the other stuff. But I mean, it's it's scary as fuck. I'm on yeah. Jill's side. Out of shat, right in my pants. Absolutely. <laughs> I would have shat again in my pants because the snake would have done it. The spider would have done it. <laughs> uh, having Barry sneak up behind me and scream at me like every time that would have done it. Like yeah, the, the, the plant of course would have done it, but that would have been oh, more course, out of like. Uh, a shame than like than scared this because I you know I, I do that too like if I like when I was a kid the first time I <laughs> saw like a, a naked girl I shot my pants it's weird uh, 
Um, so <laughs> Glands are weird. Like I was saying, glands are strange. It's very, very true. Uh, Wesker makes his way to the control console and presses a few buttons that I imagine sound like this. Beep, boop, pop, pop, beep, pop, boop, to drain the stasis tube that holds Tyrant. <laughs> Tyrant starts to bash the glass, which cracks after two hits before shattering. Tyrant roars and leaps into a stance and looks at Jill briefly before approaching Wesker. Wesker yells at the Tyrant and reaches for the control panel, but is skewered by Tyrant's giant claw and is dropped to the floor. It then turns its attention to Jill, who drops it after a few magnum rounds in the face. Somewhere, Barry's left leg goes completely straight. <laughs> he starts thrusting in the air with his eyes rolling back in his head. <laughs> Totally into this gunfire, man. <laughs> uh, this might be the most erect he gets the whole time. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. He's compensating with his leg. He's like, I got to prove to them that I really like this gun. <laughs> well, he's got to hold back that shit, too, and <laughs> kind of flex true. this 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 uh, this throbber. I mean, he's he's dealing with a lot right now. Poor Barry. He's the real victim in this whole thing. In no way he's really paying attention. Throbber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So Jill knows that she must run for her life. The lab's self-destruct sequence has been activated by Wesker and is counting down to the mansion's eventual and ultimate destruction. But first, Jill must save Chris. She runs to the back room and lets him out of a cell. He immediately asks about Wesker, and she tells him she'll explain later. But Jill, I want to know now. (laughs) Now at the mansion's helipad, Brad Chickenheart Vickers is circling uh, two syllables, by the way, is circling his chopper just above the pick point, the pick up point and awaiting a signal to land. Jill sends up a signal flare and Brad lands the helicopter. If you're curious, Brad is the member of Alpha Team who was flying the helicopter in the initial sequence. He panicked and abandoned the Alpha Team in the raccoon forest, which resulted in them running to the mansion to begin with. Well, to be fair to Brad Chickenheart Vickers, and I'm sure he got that nickname from all the bravery, <laughs> that was no raccoon forest. It was a zombie dog forest at the time. So I that's mean, you're not you're not wrong. Cut the guy's you're some not slack. wrong. Cut the guy's yeah. some to make up for this transgression, Brad drops a rocket launcher from the helicopter for Jill to use to blow the tyrant to smithereens, and that's exactly what happens. Jill, Chris, and Barry jump into Brad's helicopter as the Spencer Estate explodes. And a giant burst of flames. <laughs> Fucking Barry. Barry, not even going to act like he didn't have a gun to Jill's head like five minutes ago. <laughs> and then, like, after that, after the rocket launcher fire, I mean, his military-grade pants just burst at the crotch. <laughs> like, he's done. <laughs> he, he's just a pile of purple goo. Had, had the uh, rocket launcher not come, he probably could have just grabbed his ankles and turned around and probably, <laughs> probably just, <laughs> if anything, the tyrant would be like, Ew, come on. <laughs> come, come on. Not man. cool. Didn't you see we had a, a skull toilet in the sarcophagus? Did you not? <laughs> did you not even see that? Oh, this is gross, guys. <laughs> and then he climbs back up into his tank and just bathes. Like, you just see him, like, with soap. He's like, oh, who's guys? Gross. <laughs> uh, and that, that wraps up the story of Resident Evil 1. Sweet. That was fun, man. I I love that story. It. It's awesome. It really is. Yeah. It's really it's a it's a really interesting like sort of it's a really it's a really interesting video game story. Like if someone were to try to novelize this, I think it would be awful, but <laughs> it's a great like video game story because it has all the important beats, it has this escalation, all these crazy monsters and characters that come out. It's constantly surprising you with new things. Um yeah, it's really cool. 
and, and like one of the things I really liked about it, I think when you're playing the game and even you get like the little droplets of narrative through, you know, picking up letters and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, which I, I, I try to take that in in games, but sometimes it gets a little lost on me. Doing the research, a little bit of research for this episode, just learning a little bit about Lisa Trevor and like where she came from and like her dad was the, the architect and that whole story. That's that, that's maybe the most interesting thing to me mm-hmm. is that little that little thing there. It's very, I mean, just uh, Oswell Spencer kind of making this murder home and then uh, it kind of has it reminds me of H.H. H. Holmes have you ever heard of that guy he built the, the murder castle in Chicago during the World's Fair in the, the late 1800s no. and he he built this like hotel and he would invite people to this hotel and then murder them in it uh, several different ways but the, the legend is that he hired several contractors to build it in sections so that no one really knew the full layout so it, it really reminded me of that yeah so it, I, and I wonder if they were inspired by that story actually for this so I mean that's just it's really cool and I think that little element just the Lisa Trey like her background, George Trevor, that does make me like this game more than other. You know, it kind of mm-hmm. gives it a little more of a reason to to exist. Have you uh, played the game since learning about that lore of Lisa Trevor? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it makes me interested to maybe go back and play the game and see if if that lore. Because to your point, there's a lot of story building in you know things that you can pick up, things that you can read to kind of learn about the backstory. It makes me wonder how much of that backstory is actually in the game, and I just don't remember any of it because honestly reading through uh reading through the narrative here reading through the story i was that was the actually the character that i kind of remembered the least it, it didn't seem like a big um showstopper a big showpiece like the snake mm-hmm. was like the spider was um and the shark and the plants and all that kind of stuff right right it, I, maybe because it's it's humanoid and there's and the, those are a dime a dozen in this game but like i don't didn't really remember it that much until i had to go online and look at some screenshots and be like oh yeah i kind of remember that fight yeah it, it's it's interesting and that was a big reason i tried to upsell the tyrant like he's not uh a giant you know it, they kind of played on people's nat- natural fears of spiders and snakes and mm-hmm. and sharks and that kind of thing but uh the, you know it's like the the tyrant is this towering beast and also lisa trevor is this decrepit hell bent witch from the depths i mean that you, you really can't paint her dark enough so uh yeah i think that's awesome i think it's really cool the whole story is really cool it, it went up a notch after i read th- you know did the research for this this was made me like the whole series even more mm. do you think there's one guy in the pitch sessions for the monsters that um, was trying to jump on board trying to be cool with all the other guys and all the other guys were talking about um you know classic fear tropes of humans like there's five of them around they're like oh we should have this we should have a, a, a shark like oh yeah mm. people are scared of sharks we should have a we should have a, a, a snake oh yeah people are scared of snakes and then uh <laughs> ralph over there he's like yeah and we should have like mayonnaise you know because like every like we're all afraid of mayonnaise right like oh i hate mayonnaise right like it's scary you see it and you're like you have nightmares <laughs> they're like no what yeah they, so they settled on plant <laughs> but a man can it be a mayonnaise plant that doesn't exist, dude. It's a, it's a video game. It's, we're creating our own world here. It could exist. The man is playing from now on. And that guy went on to make Katamari. So, <laughs> oh man, that's a good that's a good game. Play Katamari, it's good. It is, it is. Yeah. But I mean, tons of mayonnaise jars of that. I'm sure. I didn't look for them, but I bet they're in there. And he's like, I'm going to roll over them because they're nothing to me. <laughs> there is a literal game called Mayo. Have you oh, heard of that game? No. It's like a, one of those clicker games where you just touch a jar of mayonnaise for like an hour. Oh, that's yeah, it's, gross. It's super dumb. It's super. T- well, it's not a real jar of mayonnaise. I mean, it's just oh, a- oh, okay. 
<laughs> it's a schoolyard game that kids play. I brought the mayonnaise. <laughs> hey, guys, let's play mayo. <laughs> I brought a basketball. I got the mayo. Okay, let's do that game. It's done. Uh, Real quick, before we let everyone know the key differences in narrative between Jill and Chris, we have to introduce you to a character you would only meet in Chris's playthrough, Rebecca Chambers, two syllables. She's a rookie of the Lost Bravo team who has experience in biochemistry. She also lost contact with the rest of her Bravo team. Uh, she fell asleep in one of the mansion's dormitories next to the graveyard and was awoken by Richard Aiken, two syllables, who was eventually bitten by the snake. Uh, she was basically cornered by the snake and the spiders and laid low until she was rescued by Chris Redfield. Okay, so the difference is um, in Jill's playthrough, Barry acts more suspicious, especially regarding tearing the will, and you can also trigger a conversation between him and Wesker outside a dormitory. Um, if Jill is poisoned by the yawn, she wakes up at full health because Barry has rescued her. Damn right! <laughs> if Chris is poisoned, the player takes control of Rebecca Chambers, who gets Chris some serum. Um, let's see. Jill can manufacture... Full jolt to mm -hmm. weaken plant 42. And when the plant grabs her, Barry comes in with a flamethrower to rescue her. Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, Chris has to fight the plant on his own. But if Richard died in the attic, Rebecca will have to save Chris by making the volt jolt. Ah, okay. All right. Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, in the final encounter with Lisa Trevor, Jill finds Barry at Jessica's coffin, but Chris will run into Wesker. So, oh, there you okay. Go. It's worth playing it more, more than twice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I haven't, um, but maybe I should. I don't know. All right, Kate, well done. I mean, thanks for sharing this tale and the details of it. Very well read. Good job. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and I guess that wraps up our tale of Resident Evil 1. Thank you so much for listening through this to the bitter end. Check out Resident Evil 2. That'll be the next episode. You can visit polykill.com for more shows like this one. Check out better stories than the one you just heard by heading over to <laughs> CalebJRoss.com. Aw. You can find us all on Twitter at Polykill. I'm at Trap Plays Games. And I'm at Caleb J. Ross. And the tale has been told. Yes.